Welcome to the City Church Cardiff podcast. We're an Elim Pentecostal church in the center of Cardiff dedicated to bringing hope in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you're inspired and impacted by this message. Well, in a week's time, exactly a week from today, it is Christmas Day where many of us will be enjoying a Christmas dinner, tucking into our food, singing some Christmas carols, maybe a little bit of Michael Bublé as well. And some of us will be watching a Christmas film. I love a good Christmas film. Just so you know, some of my favourites are Elf, The Grinch, Nativity. I like that kind of thing. In case you're wondering, worst Christmas film, Love Actually. Prepared to debate with you afterwards, honestly, worst Christmas film. But I also love the fact that they show old films on telly around Christmas time. Films like The Sound of Music and films like The Wizard of Oz. Now, The Wizard of Oz I find fascinating because um, it was shown in Technicolor. And so the colors are really bright, kind of a little bit strange looking now. Back then, they would have seen it as as quite exciting and groundbreaking. Now it looks just a little bit odd. But if you're not familiar with the story of The Wizard of Oz, what happens is a young girl called Dorothy, she gets caught up in a tornado and whisked away from her home to the land of Oz. And she's told that maybe the wizard would be able to help her get back home. And so she makes her way to go and see the wizard. Now, along the way, she collects a tin man who is wanting a heart. She collects a lion who is wanting courage and a scarecrow who is wanting a brain. And together, they all head down the yellow brick road to find the wizard. And when they find the wizard and they're able to go and talk to him, they find that he's this huge head surrounded by flames of fire and smoke. And he's got a huge, big, booming, commanding voice. And they come to an agreement between each other. He will do something for them, and they will do something for him. Now, they keep their side of the bargain, but the wizard doesn't. And they discover why. They discover why because they pull back the curtain and find, instead of this booming great wizard, there's just this middle-aged man pulling some levers around and speaking into a microphone with special effects. All was not as it seemed. Now, today I want to tell you a different story, a true story, in fact. The story of two characters from the real-life story of Christmas. But just like in The Wizard of Oz, all is not as it seems. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 2, starting from verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, "'Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews?' We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he'd called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they'd seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Chapter 2 of Matthew's Gospel is the action scenes of the Christmas story. In the first part of chapter 1, we've had the genealogy of Jesus. The scene has been set for the Messiah. And then the second part of chapter 1, well, that's when we've had the drama. You see, Mary has become pregnant, even though she's a virgin. And Joseph has been thinking that he's going to quietly divorce her. But then he has this dream. The angel comes to him and says that he can marry Mary. It's a critical point. The tension is high, but then it's resolved when Joseph makes the decision that he is going to marry her. And then in chapter 2, that's when the action kicks in. And so if this was a film, that's when the music would start to get a little bit faster and the scenes would start moving a little bit faster pace. And the scene is set in chapter 2 with this introduction. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. You see, on the one hand, we have Jesus, a baby born in Bethlehem. And on the other hand, we have King Herod. And we're shown here in this gospel that these uh, two characters are contrasting characters. They're opposing characters. My message today is called A Tale of Two Kings. A Tale of Two Kings. Now, in our story, this was the time of the Roman Empire. And so Judea was under Roman rule. The Romans had given Herod the title of king. And although he wasn't a Jew himself, because he was uh, king of Israel, he was known as king of the Jews. And the Magi, they arrive in Jerusalem and say, where's the one that's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Now Herod hadn't had a son recently. And so when the Magi come inquiring about the king of the Jews, he's worried, he's disturbed, he's wondering what's going on. Just after Christmas, a new series of The Apprentice is due to start. It's quite a fascinating insight into human nature and and into the world of business. Actually, it's not really an insight into the world of business, but it kind of makes me laugh anyway. If you've not seen The Apprentice, it's all about Alan Sugar finding somebody that he can invest in, uh, a business and a person that he can invest in. And it's made clear throughout the whole program who exactly is in charge. You see, Alan Sugar's not referred to by his name, Alan. He's instead addressed by his title, Lord Sugar. He gets to tell people to shut up when he's fed up of them talking. And of course, the most famous bit, the point and telling people, you're fired. It's clear throughout that he is the one who is in charge. He is the one that holds the power. Herod wanted it to be absolutely clear who was in charge in Judea. And so when some wise men come asking about another king, he's disturbed, he's worried, because of course, there can only be one king. Herod is king of the Jews, so who is this king that they're coming inquiring about, that they're coming asking about, who's just been born? Herod was a a jealous and an insecure man. He was possessive over his power and position. And any plot against him that he heard about, he would make sure that he would stop by any means necessary. History records that he was a man who clung on to power, who grasped hold of position. And then comes Jesus. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus who is God himself. The God who created the whole universe, the God who knows the beginning and from the end, the God who is all-seeing, who is all-knowing, who is all-powerful. And how does this all-powerful God choose to enter into the world? As a baby. As a baby who is utterly dependent on his mother and father. As a tiny, newborn baby. Jesus didn't arrive in a fanfare. He didn't arrive into opulence. He didn't come in with force. He came in meekness 
and gentleness. He laid down his power to become one of us. That's who Christians worship. You know, sometimes I've heard atheists say, wow, your God must be really narcissistic if he demands worship. But God isn't a God who manipulates or who coerces. God isn't a God who's paranoid about his power. God showed his character in Jesus, who came to earth so that we might know him. Jesus isn't a king on a power trip. He's not grasping at position or paranoid about being knocked off his throne. Jesus is mighty, but he laid down his power. And that's what we learn in our first contrast, that Jesus is humble. And so, after the Magi I ask about this king of the Jews, and Herod finds out from the chief priests and the teachers of the law that the prophecies say the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And verse 8 says, Herod sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. But we know, don't we, it's not genuine. He's not planning to go and worship him. He wants to find him so that he can kill him. You know, we find out later in the story because an angel appears to Joseph and reveals that Herod is in fact intending to search for Jesus to kill him. Today was the World Cup final. This afternoon, Argentina beat France. Any Argentinian fans in the house? Not so much. Messi fans, maybe. The last time that Argentina won the World Cup was 1986. If you're not taking notes, you should be right now, because that is a great pub quiz answer. 1986 was the last time that Argentina won the World Cup. But that year that Argentina won the World Cup last in 1986 is remembered for one of the most famous or perhaps infamous goals in World Cup history, Diego Maradona's so-called Hand of God. Now, it was a quarterfinal between England and Argentina, and early on in the second half, Maradona scored a goal with his head and his hands. But the ref didn't see it, and there was no VAR back then. There was no video playback, so nobody could go and re-watch the goal to see that, in fact, his hand had been the scorer of the goal. Now, afterwards, Maradona was asked about this, and he said that the goal had been scored a little with the head of Maradona, and a little with the hand of God, claiming that it wasn't an illegal goal, but instead it was divine intervention. Now, after years of denying it, Maradona admitted the handball, but he was very clear quite often to state that he wasn't asking for any forgiveness. You know, he was a very talented but very interesting football player. But you know what? The hand of God scandal was tame in comparison to the cheating of Herod. If Herod had to plot or lie or scheme, then that's what it took. He wanted to protect his position at all costs. And then we have Jesus. You know, the circumstances around Jesus' birth were simple obedience. Mary's motives when she said yes to carrying the Son of God were simple obedience. Joseph's motives in marrying Mary, despite all the strangeness of the situation, were simple obedience to God. And then there's Jesus himself. Jesus who doesn't just tell the truth. Jesus who isn't just an example of being truthful. Jesus who doesn't just merely teach the truth even. Jesus who is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus exposes deceit. He conquers lies. He shatters schemes. And you know what? If that makes you nervous in any way this evening, I've got great news for you. Jesus said, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. 
lies and deceit and plotting and hiding and cheating, they keep us trapped in a bondage. When you've got to cover things up, you live in fear of being exposed. But when you walk with Jesus, you can be fully known and fully loved. Jesus never betrays. He never manipulates. He never coerces. And so when we're in, when we're in relationship with him, he doesn't just teach us about the truth. He makes sure that the truth is embedded deep in our hearts. Jesus is the truth that breaks the power of sin. Jesus is the truth that gives us hope, and he is the truth that shows us the way. And so as our story continues later in Matthew 2, God exposes Herod's plot by warning Joseph to take Mary and Joseph and to flee. But first, he warns the Magi not to return to Herod. Now, when Herod realizes that his plan has been foiled, he's angry. Verse 16 says, when Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he'd learned from the Magi. Herod's fury is destructive. He'll commit an atrocity in order to get rid of any perceived threat to his throne. It's shocking that somebody would go to such lengths because of their own paranoia, because of their own thirst for power. But you see, this was the kind of MO for Herod. He'd had it in his history. He was not the only time that he'd been prepared to kill. Herod's known as a great builder. He undertook a large number of building projects. One of the most famous was that he um, was part of the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. But his legacy is far from just architecture. Herod's known as a tyrant. History records that he was willing to kill anyone who got in his way, even if they were family members of his. You know, it's said that he left orders that upon his own death, groups of people were to be rounded up and killed so that there would be no celebrating at his death and instead there'd only be mourning. Now, this plan was overturned, but he is known as a king who sowed death and destruction. And this is where the contrast with Jesus reaches its pinnacle. Because while King Herod sowed death, Jesus sows life. King Herod is all about death and King Jesus is all about life. Jesus' plan in coming to earth was to lay down his own life so that you and I could have everlasting life with him. You know, Christmas is our opportunity to celebrate the birth of a king, the phenomenal news that God came to earth to become like us so that we could become in a relationship with him and become like him. Jesus offers us life and life in abundance. During his life on earth, Jesus brought life wherever he went. He brought life to those who were trapped in the cycle of sin. He brought life to those who were crushed under oppression. He even brought life to those who had died, like his friend Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. But he's not finished yet. He's not stopped. Because Jesus is life, and so he can bring life wherever we'll invite him in. You know what? If you don't feel like you have a purpose, well, Jesus can give you direction. If you don't feel like you can fulfill your dreams because they've been trodden on in some way, Jesus can resurrect them. If you're trapped in a cycle of sin, well, Jesus died so that you could be free. If you feel like your life is over, well, Jesus has already given his so that you could live. Don't give up because Jesus hasn't. Give him your purpose. Give him your dreams. Give him your future. Give him your fears and your worries and watch as he breathes life into you and into all around you. Jesus came that first Christmas to earth with a mission. He came on a mission to die on a cross, to take on the sin of the whole world, and to rise again 
to overcome sin and death so that we could have life in all of its fullness and everlasting life with him. Matthew's gospel shows us a tale of two kings, but only one of them is the true king. Now, just like in The Wizard of Oz, the curtain has been pulled back on Herod to expose who he really was. And you know, the world can offer us kings of power and wealth and security and stability and success, but quite often the curtain gets pulled back on them too. And we find that all is not as it seems. But in contrast, in a baby laid in a manger in Bethlehem, we can see the full wonder of the King of Kings. Jesus, our true King, he didn't come with a throne and a fanfare. He came humbly. And he showed us what real power is, what real truth is. He came to give us life, life in all of its fullness, an everlasting life with him. And that calls for a response. Matthew 2 tells us how the Magi responded after they'd encountered Jesus. Verses 11 and 12, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Once they'd encountered Jesus, they worshipped him, and they changed direction. They worshipped him and they went a different way. The truth of Jesus, the wonder of Jesus calls us to change direction, to turn away from following our own ways and instead to follow Jesus. And so let me ask you this evening, how will you respond to this king who was born in a manger in Bethlehem? How will you respond to this great truth that God himself came to earth as a baby, grew up, died on a cross, and rose again, defeating sin and death. Perhaps it's that you need to change direction. Perhaps instead of following your way, you need to turn around and start following the way of Jesus, because he is trustworthy, and as we've just heard, he is humble, he is truth, and he is life. And so we're going to take an opportunity now to pray a prayer. And this is for you particularly, if you've been listening and thinking, do you know what, I want to be in a relationship with Jesus. I want to have a confidence that I have everlasting life with him. I want to know that life and life in all of its fullness that Jesus offers. And this is a prayer where we say sorry for the things that we've done wrong, the sin that has separated us from God, the stuff that kind of gets in the way. It's a prayer that asks God for his forgiveness, and his response is always yes. And it's a prayer that makes a commitment to say, from today, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to give my life fully to you. So we're going to pray this prayer all together, but this is particularly for you if you've not prayed this prayer before in a meaningful way. The words are going to come up on the screen. Let's say together, Jesus, I acknowledge that I have done wrong things and that my sin has separated me from you. But I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Today, I ask for your forgiveness and thank you for your gift of new life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I choose relationship with you and I choose to live for you. Please come into my heart and change my life now and forevermore. Amen.
We hope you are encouraged by today's message. To find out more, visit our website at citychurchcardiff.com or find us on social media.